You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John Jansen. And 10-year NFL veteran, two-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, T.J. Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and T.J. Lang. Welcome back again. Necessary roughness. John, I want to start with this. I was watching Monday Night Football last night. You played about the same era as this guy I'm about to bring up. Ed is, uh, I, don't, I don't think he had his numbers number retired, but uh, Matt Hasselbeck going into the Seahawks Ring of Honor. And I know I'm going to sound like a hater. <laughs> I know he took him to a Super Bowl, but I'm sitting there and I'm going, Matt Hasselbeck, okay. Like I always thought, you know, average quarterback, okay. Look up his stats. I mean, I think he threw 212 career touchdowns and over 130 interceptions. And I'm yeah. thinking to myself, and I know it was a different era. Uh, it, it's not the era now. We see quarterbacks throwing consistently for, you know, 4,500, 5,000 yards. But <laughs> this is a hard way to put this question. Is To get into a ring of honor for an NFL franchise, don't you have to have a little bit more accolades than just going to a Super Bowl? Well... Uh, so, I think obviously the Hall of Fame is is one thing, and this, in essence, the Ring of Honor is a franchise's Hall of Fame. Uh, Correct, but but the NFL Hall Even of Fame more is, than that. I mean, you have your name on the stadium for life. You do, and I think what goes into it is yes, what you did for the team on the field, but a lot of it too. When you're talking about a franchise. Some of it is what you do in the community as well. And Matt Hasselback, I I know um, that he was very involved in that community, is still very involved in that community, and community service isn't what gets you into the, the ring of honor right. or, or a franchise hall of fame, but I do think it plays a large part into it because of what you meant to the fans on the field, what you meant to the fans off the field, um, and it's it's more of a total package, whereas like the NFL Hall of Fame, it's 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 numbers, it's Super Bowl championships for some positions, it's uh, you know were you the greatest at that position in your era of football, you know, or were you in the top two or three in your era of football gets you into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. For the era of football for the Seahawks that we're talking about, there's only one quarterback, right? That's Matt Hasselbeck. So it you you can't necessarily say. You know, use that same factor, but I do think, you know, it, I, I'm trying to 
to to take the edge off of of what I know that you're you're, you're saying, right. and that is you you just you he's an average with, quarterback. You played with well maybe during his time, and you know he played what two thousand to you know late what two thousand ten ish. So yes. that was at the it's point a I wasn't there. I wasn't in the uh, NFL yet. I didn't watch him a lot, but um, when the name Matt Hasselbeck comes rings, like I don't I don't think some great quarterback, and that's why I wanted to ask you. And all, by all accounts, I mean, he was, you know, guys that uh, played, I mean, he just sounds like an extremely great person. Oh, he's a good and, dude. And uh, great dude, great teammate. Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> so I was watching last night and I was just, I was like, oh, wow, Matt, ha- I, I guess I didn't realize how good he was, if he was. That, that's why I wanted yeah. to ask you, just because, who would you compare him to modern day? Because that was... 20 years ago, the game was obviously a lot different. If you threw, you know, quarterbacks were throwing for 200 yards a game, and that was exceptional. Uh, but now, I mean, who, who for us younger viewers, <laughs> not yes, trying to yes. call you an old guy. No, that's right. Because who would he, you compare he, him to as a like a modern day quarterback? Is he almost like a he is Matthew Stafford type guy? I wouldn't even put him in that category. Not even that. I, I think he's more of a. It's it's hard to find the exact comparison, but he's a Ryan Tannehill, in my opinion. He's a guy that is, and and this just shows you that I think the different eras of football. We're only talking about a decade, um, you know, difference. But Ryan Tannehill is a guy that if you put him on that Seahawks team, he's he's the guy that can distribute the football and will be able to hand it off, was, is not going to get you in trouble. And that's what Matt Hasselbeck yeah, was. when you some playoff games. Yeah, he'll win you some playoff games. And, and I obviously played against Matt Hasselbeck because we had some playoff games out there, went out there and, and, and played in, in Seattle during the regular season as well. And um, he was never the guy that you thought was going to go out there and just flat out win a game. Right, he's not going to beat you by himself. Right, yeah. he was, but he was a, a very smart quarterback, a heady yeah. quarterback, yeah. a game manager type guy, and I think Tannehill to me is is kind of the, the modern day comparison, and I think if you put Matt Hasselback in today's football, you probably get Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Because he's not a guy like Matt Stafford. He's not going to throw it 40 times a game and beat right. you. But, I mean, you know, his, his best season him. was just shy of, of 4,000 yards. I think it was in 2007, he had 3,966 yards. And that's not going to get you a Pro Bowl appearance now. It's not going to win you, a, a, I don't think, a division title. Um, Wasn't you know, he also, we want the ball and we're going to score, playoff game, Green Bay, and then through the pick six? Yeah. Val Harris. <laughs> <laughs> so, in and that I'm regard, not, yes, yeah. very Matt Stafford-ish. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not trying to rain on the guy's parade. I mean, God, my God, it's an incredible honor for him and his family, I'm sure. It's just, yeah, from, from my perspective, it was just, uh, yeah, I, I just never thought of him as being a top-tier guy, but uh, incredible honor. But Two-point question on Monday Night Football, and I know – Man, I I'm just in one of these moods today, but okay, let's the, piss the Manning off. the Manning cast. <clears throat> I've been hearing a lot about it this season, and I know they took uh, what two or three week hiatus. They didn't yeah. do the last. Couple they only weeks, work but, when they want to, right? They, yeah, which they, is awesome. quarterbacks Good got it like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, after making a couple hundred mil, you, you can afford that. But uh, <laughs> and I'm sure they're getting paid a pretty penny by ESPN for yes, doing this. They're not too, doing but, it for free. Um, I turned it on last night for about ten minutes, and. The one way I could describe it was like an audiobook of football for dummies where it just seemed like every play was 
this is cover two, and this is the safety's responsibility. Yeah. Like, okay, you know, we know that. Oh, this is how we handle silent count. I'll go up to the center and tap. Like, for me, it was just like I didn't really – so learn a lot, you know, and I know that I have a different perspective because yeah. playing the game for so long, but, um, it kind of seemed like, it kind of seemed like football for dummies, just like the most basic stuff. And I, I know they have the guests on there and be incredible. Uh, <laughs> he yeah. just gives no shits at all, but, uh, I, I, I sound like a hater again, man, but I don't know. Have you watched it yet? Do you enjoy it at all? Um, I did the same thing, uh, as you did. Uh, in regards to, you know, what I watched it for about five minutes and I thought, you know what, it's yeah. not for me. But if I was a fan and, and I wanted to hear things like, <laughs> you know, what we talked about last week right. is, is, you know, the terminology that the quarterbacks use, the progress or the progressions that they go through yeah. different things from their perspective, hearing it from. Peyton Manning. The issue I have is Eli Manning. Eli just got that weird face all the time, and you know, he just he, looks. He, and like, I know he is the little brother face, you know, always. Yeah, you just like you want to. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I'm, I'm, you want to punch him? Yeah, right. Because he's just a little brother, right? He's it's the like, one that you want to punch in the shoulder. He's the one you want to give a wedgie to. He's just the one that it's almost. Just, it's almost like Peyton said, "I'll only do the show if you guys allow Eli to do it with me." Yes, <laughs> because Peyton's awesome, but. And I guess I could see what you're saying. I mean, knowing obviously what we know about the NFL and being experts at the game, I guess if I was watching a hockey game or a baseball game and they had two Hall of Fame guys kind of breaking it down like that, I would probably enjoy it because you just don't know uh, the same amount that they do about their respective sports. But for me, when it came to the Manning cast, I was like, okay, this is cool. But it almost seemed like it was guided towards – like a new fan you know this is welcome to nfl football and this well, is how we do it and this is cover two and this is man and this is yeah <laughs> and uh it was dumbed down it's it's very just yeah it's almost football for dummies if i want if i was going to watch it on a regular basis i would want more of what we saw and heard from marshawn lynch right and now i know on on you know I know it's cable, but there's also you know things they can say, things they can't say, and everybody lost their mind well, because Marshawn he dropped said everything. <laughs> yeah, you know the the three shots of Hennessy. The uh, he said he said he said all of these things. And if I'm going to watch a game and I'm going to watch it with some buddies, because that's basically what they're trying to create is yeah. you're sitting there watching it with your buddy. Right. That's not how I watch a game. Yeah. I'm going to sit there and I know that they rewind things and they highlight things and they show things, but I watch it as. You know, like when 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 I see this this blitz coming, I'm like, oh, they better see that mother now. Yeah. I'm mean, like, here he comes. Oh, what in the hell are they looking at? I yeah. mean, I don't want to have to censor what I'm saying simply because I'm on TV, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to, you know, basically mute myself. Yeah. Because it, it, if I'm trying to create watching the with my buddies, I want to I want to watch the game how I want to watch it, yeah. and that's just not how dudes that played the game are going to watch it yeah and it's entertaining i think there, there's certainly some entertainment value when you have Marshawn yeah. on there when you have tom brady on there and the guys are just kind of bsing about old stories like that's cool yeah but the football part of it was was just wasn't for me what'd you think about <laughs> what'd you think about the fan that uh, ended up with tom's uh 600 touchdown pass yeah so i haven't seen the i, I never saw the replay of what you know, did somebody throw it into the stands? Mike Evans just went up and and, and basically handed it to. Oh, him. Oh, he handed it to. The oh, guy. yeah, okay. he gave it to him, and because he was, you know, like any so other he touchdown celebration, know. he had no idea. Yeah, he had no idea. So immediately, 
somebody I mean, they goes probably over. Probably knew, right? The guy probably knew. I, Maybe he didn't. I don't know. I, I don't think he knew the value that he was holding on to. Right. Uh, because there's been there's been estimations that if he took it to an auction house, yeah. it would have sold for about five hundred thousand dollars. Now a good there's chunk of change. It's a good chunk of change, but there's there's heavy fees involved in getting that, making right. sure it's authentic, yeah, which maybe. we all know it's authentic. Um, but I think he got, I don't know the, the total list. There were, I saw that it was like two signed jerseys. I think he and has a couple of footballs from Tom Brady, a couple of footballs, a couple of other memorabilia from Mike Evans, some yeah. other guys, uh, season, season tickets, tickets the rest this of this year, year and next and next. And then a Bitcoin wasn't a Bitcoin thrown Tom in, there threw too? in the Bitcoin last Tom night, threw in the Bitcoin. Yeah, so, I mean, he's still making grand. He's still making out pretty good. And I think that ultimately that was probably the best decision because, that's a piece of history, right? And if you're that one fan that's like, no, no, I mean, everybody's going to know an who you are. You become, yeah, you become bitter, uh, you know. What, Greedy what's he, fan. What's, what's the male version of the Karen, right? That becomes you yeah, yeah. <laughs> overnight, <laughs> right? Everybody's going to be hating you. I mean, everybody yeah, we call, knows we call who them you Jeff are. You were, yeah, Riggs, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, he, he wanted so bad to catch Miggy's 500th. Yeah. And if he said if he did, he was going to hold on to it. He was going to put it in an auction house. He could do all this stuff. And and I kept saying, you know what? It, it's If you're a true fan, now, and, and we had this discussion Day in, day out for weeks leading up to Miggy hitting that 500th. And then he didn't even hit it at home, and he hit it right. into a bullpen, so nobody got that 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 ball. Yeah. But, and, and maybe it's just my perspective, coming from being a former athlete, being a professional athlete, that I would have just said, you know what, this, this one either belongs in Cooperstown, yep. this one belongs in Canton, or it belongs with Tom Brady. He's the one that, you know, Miguel hit 499. This was his 500th. And I know everybody bought tickets. They, you know, they're paying the salaries of these players. They're making an exorbitant amount of money. And I do believe Miguel probably would have done something very similar to what Tom Brady did. Yeah. But in the end, I mean, it, it, there's no wrong in doing the right thing. Right. And I think the right thing is giving it back. And then whatever happens at that point, you know, I, I do think that, you know, Tom, I don't think he had a responsibility per se, but he did the right thing by, you know, making sure that he was well compensated and thanked for yeah. for doing that. Because a Bitcoin to Tom Brady for, you know, $63,000, that's a ton of money. I don't care who you are. I don't want to downgrade that fact. But in regard to percentages of what it meant to him, was minuscule, but in regards to what it meant to that fan and what it means to the fan base that Tom Brady took care and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers took care of that fan yeah. for giving that ball and, up. And I feel like in recent history, I can't I can't quite recall exactly what it was, but I feel like it was a baseball hit or a home run. Uh, this was maybe within the last five years, and there was a similar situation. The fan did not want to give it back. Uh, ultimately, a couple days later, I think he got shamed and guilted enough where he gave it back. <laughs> You'll feel shame, but he didn't give a. You know, they at that point, you know, the organization's like, "Oh, we'll give you a signed jersey." You know, right? <laughs> like yeah. that was it because yeah. I mean, you kind of drug it out for so long yeah, and played hard to bag. get, and yeah, yeah, here you go. But um, yeah, it's funny because I was watching the uh, Long Gone Summer documentary on the flight to L.A. It was about the uh, Sosa and McGuire yeah. home run chase in the late '90s and. Uh, same thing. I, I can't remember if it was My 62 generation. 
for I, I was I mean I was I was alive. I was <laughs> ten or eleven. But um I remember watching that too, man. That was incredible baseball at its highest point. But uh it Did it, it was, matter to you that it later came out that they were roided up? It did, but at the same time, um there's no consistency with how they Especially in baseball. Uh, with how they have, I guess, held people accountable. Uh, you know, like Sosa and McGuire eventually admitted to it, but I feel like they didn't get treated as harshly as a guy like Barry Bonds. Yeah. Like Barry Bonds right now is still kind of <laughs> – like you think Barry Bonds, you think of roids. When you yeah. think of Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, you think about that home run chase. Yeah. Um, but it also wasn't – I know those, like those guys said, they knew what they were doing – was an advantage, but it wasn't technically illegal. It wasn't tested for. It wasn't that. So it, it was a different era. But, no, I mean, I just go back to how electrifying that was. Yeah. And for me, right or wrong, I think that kind of trumps anything else that happened. But when McGuire either hit 62 to break the record or maybe it was 70, um, the ball, same thing, went into the bullpen area and one of the – Grounds crew kids. He was like a fourteen-year-old kid. Ended yep. up sprinting over and scooping it up, and um, you know he talked about on the documentary about how he wanted to keep the ball. But you know, being a kid, he's like, yeah. I just you know, and, and they did a nice heroes. presentation. They they brought the kid up on on stage, and he got to present Mark McGuire the ball personally. And for that, I think that outweighs. Really, it, yeah, you can obviously have a tremendous monetary gain if you go and sell it, but yeah. that moment probably outweighs everything else, right? You're going to spend the money eventually. You're 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 always going to have that memory. And for this fan to give the ball back to Tom Brady and for the Bucks to show their appreciation, I, I think that's going to go a lot longer way than maybe selling the ball for two hundred, three hundred thousand, enjoying going and blowing it in a couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. going to be known as that guy, and and you're going to have that. That you, reputation, you always have that which story. is great. Yeah, you're going to always have that story. But anyways, I kind of went off the rails a little bit first couple of minutes. NFL football, obviously we got to touch on the lines a little bit. Oh, I thought, I thought something. I thought something I wanted to lead with this was, and I know you guys talked to Coach Campbell uh, this week, and the question was asked about the passing game. And – getting the ball downfield, and is it golf? Is it the receivers? What is it? And Coach Campbell said, well, I think, you know, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey had something to do with that as well. But mm -hmm. you haven't played Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey every week. <laughs> the other team, or, Cincinnati, or doesn't have those guys. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota didn't have those guys. And it wasn't about this one game about, you know, why is the ball not thrown downfield? It's really been an issue all season. And I know that coach said we wanted to play conservatively on offense. We wanted to try to keep the ball as long as we could and, and keep their explosive offense off the field. But uh, when you get into the game, that's just – you can't overcome the lack of the passing attack in today's NFL, especially when you play offenses on the other side that are that explosive. I thought they played a nice game. I really did. I thought – uh, it was entertaining. <laughs> yes. I thought it was the most fun game that we've seen them play this season, the way they competed and battled and fought and had a chance there with four minutes left to go score down six. Um, but, you know, Coach has been very honest about the fact that we don't have a lot of room for mistakes. And I wanted to ask you this question was, when, you're, when you hear a coach saying that, uh, 
do you, is there any part of you that thinks, how do I want to word this? Is there any part of you that thinks he just, yeah, maybe they don't think we're just that very, very, very good yet. Or maybe, or, or is it just about being honest and saying, guys, like we are what we are, you know, we, we're going to have to battle this one out. And- that's, that's more what I take from it is when, when you come out and now granted they hit DeAndre Swift and I think it was what, 65 yards. Now that was a what a seven yard pass that ends yeah, up going for pass, yeah, yeah. goes goes for sixty five yards in the book. So you think it's an explosive play downfield, and it is an explosive play. It's just not what you would perceive a sixty five yard touchdown reception to be. Yeah, and so they were fortunate to have that um, early on. And I say fortunate that was a, a well blocked play, a well executed play, and DeAndre Swift. Um, did what he had to do to break free and go for 65 yards. And it was a great play call, too. I know we, you know, We've talked been about on Anthony, Anthony Lynn and the Lynn. offense and the creativity. I mean, he dialed that one up at the right time. And then to come back with the onside kick and then to go with the fake punt, and, and not just once but twice throughout the game. All right, you are manufacturing ways to stay in the game. You're You're trying to come up with a game plan because you know that you don't have the same horses that they have on the other side. You don't have the same, uh, you know, uh, lineage in regards to the, the 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 overall talent. At some point, their talent is going to take over. And and here's an example for you: um, late in the game, in the second half, um, Detroit, because they are trying to possess the ball, they're trying to go down the field, they're trying to make sure Matthew Stafford in this offense. Um, doesn't get another opportunity. Well, they're down 25-19. Um, so this is after the fourth down conversion that they didn't get. And they go on a 15-play drive that takes over nine minutes. And this is where it becomes walking that thin line of not having the explosive playability or going downfield with having these sustained drives. At some point, the margin for error will come back and bite you in the ass. Because you go on a 15-play drive, you take over nine minutes, but it only gets you to about the 20-yard line, and then you, you you get pressured by Aaron Donald, you give up the, the interception to Jalen Ramsey, and I don't know that the Lions, while we would like to think that they could go on a 15-play drive and actually get it in to the end zone, at some point, the lack of talent, the or the depth of talent, or the the inability to execute play in play out on a drive like that is going to bite you in the ass. Yeah, and it, it eventually did. did. And 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 it, it it was unfortunate because I felt like there was so much made about the matchup with Aaron Donald and the Rams defense uh, that the Lions' offensive line played a really nice game. I mean, they did, they did a nice job. We're, we were talking about it probably right at the beginning of the fourth quarter on the broadcast about. Aaron Donald, I think at that point, had two tackles, no quarterback hits. You know, he's going to get in the backfield and get a pressure once in a while. But um, they did a really nice job of handling him. And the one play that so you I'll get ask him you one that. on one, I mean, he just he's just that good. I mean, and he's just that good. And I thought that it was it was a shame because the Lions offense. The offensive line played really, really well. And Jonah Jackson played well he against did. Aaron Vitae Donald. played probably his best game of the season. But to your point, when as an offensive lineman, you know it as well as I do, you get 75 plays, 74 of them are great. And that one 
you know, pressure on the quarterback or it's a sack fumble, something that leads to an interception, something that leads to a turnover at a key moment in the game. And that's where I think that the Lions right now are just lacking is Jonah Jackson did everything he could for as long as he could in that game. Yeah. But when it mattered most, Aaron Donald just said, I'm going to have to get to Jared Goff on this play. Jalen Ramsey said, you know, I'm going to have to make a play. And they have the ability to go out there and just make that play. Yeah. And because that's, and, and you and that's where you get into this margin of error that we keep talking about. The margin of error is so slim because you're not going to go through a game with 75 perfect plays. You're just not. Uh, you know, you may be able to go without giving up a pressure, giving up a sack, but it's not. They're not always going to be perfect. Yeah. But you have to know when it matters most. That's when you have to be at your best. And I think Jonah Jackson was giving his best. Yeah, it's just that. Aaron Donald's best is better than Jonah Jackson's yeah. best, and 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 in fairness, Aaron Donald's best is better than ninety nine point nine percent of offensive linemen's best as well. But you're absolutely right when it comes to that, and you hope that you don't know. You you obviously strive to play a perfect game. It's not going to happen. You're going to have a couple mistakes, but you hope that the mistakes you do have or the times you do get beat are at a point in the game that you can still have a chance to overcome them. And at that point of the game, it's kind of been a synopsis of really the whole Lions season, right? When yeah. you look at that, hey, they the looked really good, looked really good, and then bam, just kind of fell asleep yeah. and, and game over. But Baltimore, Minnesota. That's the difference between these good teams and bad teams. And it's not as big as people think. I mean, when I say that, I think, look at the Rams defense. They have playmakers on every level of their defense. They have the best D-tackle in the game. They have the best probably corner in the game. They've got uh, the best receiver in the game right now. They've got probably the argue, arguably the best quarterback in the game. And when you take those four players and you compare them to what the Lions have, that's all it is. It's not – they're not, they're not like better the at 53 spots on their roster. They might be better at three or four. And a lot of times that's the difference in – being a 10-win team and being a 3-win team. And, you know, we can talk all day about the injuries that this team has faced and, and whatnot, and, and it's not an excuse. It's just a, it's just a reason, you know. It's just a reason why uh, they do have this they, – they, they can't make these mistakes. And I know that Coach Campbell talked after the game. He, he was pretty upset about – he kept mentioning two plays. You can't have these two mistakes. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, what two is he talking about? Because mm-hmm. there was probably three or four you think of. And I think, uh, you know, maybe the missed uh, fourth and one that they went for it where he, he expressed that it was his fault. You know, he put the guys in, in not a great position to succeed there. He was okay with the play call, just shouldn't have gone hurry up. Should have gone hurry up. And, may, you know, they had a tight end in there that just got off the practice squad and hadn't had a whole lot of reps. And you look at maybe the – a missed opportunity to DeAndre Swift in the red zone. They had to settle for a field goal. But um, for the most part, man, I, I, that's the difference between being a good team and a bad team is just a handful of players. And when you look at what the Rams have, like their good players are just better than – I mean, they're, they're they're the best at their position. Mm-hmm. And the Lions just don't have that right now. So I want to ask you about those four or five players in regards to the Lions and the future of the Lions in just a second. But uh, Necessary Roughness is brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. Is your lease coming due and you're unsure of what to do next? Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram wants to help. 
during Ram Power Days. Tag one of the new 500 vehicles being built right now. Or if you want your own custom vehicle, you can build it and it take delivery in as little as three weeks. This month, you're going to also get an extra $750 dealer di- dollar discount when you mention 97 won the ticket. In addition to that, in fact, you can just name TJ Lang. They'll know who you're talking about over there. In addition, every for every vehicle that is sold during the month of October, because it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram will also donate $250 to a local breast cancer charity. So make the difference in the life of someone who needs it today when you purchase or lease a vehicle from Southfield. All you got to do is log on to southfieldchrysler.com. Or if you want to talk to someone, you want to meet the team, go over there, meet Bill and Tim and their entire team over at Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram to get started today. Whether you live in West Bloomfield, Birmingham, Allen Park, or Warren, you're just a short driver, click away from the best car buying experience you're ever going to have. Visit them online at southfieldchrysler.com. And remember, all roads and all towns lead to Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram at 11 and a half and Telegraph. Now, TJ, you mentioned there's really a discrepancy of those four or five players. They're not better at every position. So I'm, I, I want to ask you this in regards to the future. The, the Detroit Lions are going to have $40 million worth of cap space this coming offseason. They're going to have three of the top 30, let's, you would 30, think 33. 34, 35, yeah, 35. 35 picks. Yeah, conservatively, you're going to end up with one of the top three picks in the first round, top three picks in the second round, plus wherever the Rams, Rams end yep. up uh, in the first. So if they're able to go out, now this is under the assumption that they hit a home run on all three players and that they're all, you know, as, as advertised and should come through. They go out in free agency and they, they, they find whatever position group that you feel they want to sign that they can't address in the draft. So let's just say they get two free agents of significance and they get three rookies in the draft of significance. How far away? Now this also is in 2023, they're going to have their own first as well as the Rams first. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get another two, possibly three high picks in the 2023 draft. How far away are, are the Detroit Lions from acquiring those four or five players on their roster? Well, I, I think that you look at, it, it's really going to come down to the first pick. Right, and I know that the, for the last three years now, uh, the Lions have had a top ten pick, top eight pick, mm-hmm. right? Number uh, three, number eight with Hawkinson, and uh, six with Sewell, yeah. seven with seven. Sewell. Yeah, um, and I mean, you could say Sewell's probably the best of that bunch when it comes to talent, uh, but an offensive yeah. lineman doesn't—he's <laughs> not going to really attract a whole lot of other free agents. Now, Hawkinson's yeah. a nice player, but. Uh, I've expected a you know, little bit more. You expect a little bit more, especially being a top ten pick. Um, and Okuda, I mean, you, you, we're not gonna we're not gonna relive the past about what they should have done. And, and but there there was an opportunity to get a couple players there that immediately guys around the league start to take notice. Um, and just saying, you know, if you're a team that has Justin Herbert, if you're a free agent, you're looking at a team that has Justin Herbert, you're saying, wow, you know, oh, hell yeah, I want to go play yeah, with him. He's yeah, in his he's, second year. He's a stud, right? If you're a defender looking at, oh, well, who have the, oh they've got Okuda. Yeah. You know, and, and nothing against Jeff. I know he's he's been injured, and uh, it was a shame because everything we heard, he was ready to 
have a good year, take a step forward. But that's that's a difference when it comes to attracting guys to your team. Now, assuming the Lions are going to have a top two pick, hopefully, mm-hmm. I think the one guy sitting there right now that everybody's excited about is is watching. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, when you mm-hmm. look at the pass rush that he's generated, and I know they just played a game on national TV against UCLA. He had a really nice game. and Ten pressures, two uh, sacks. And the week before, he had 11 pressures in the second half alone. Yeah. Uh, and I know that <laughs> you're looking at an edge rusher and you're saying, okay, like, right, if there's one thing we need to fix on this defense, it's getting pressure on the opposing quarterback. You yeah. bring in a guy like that, and it, you, I, I hate making comparisons to guys – uh, that are going to be rookies to guys that are already in the league because it's unfair when you set those high standards. But look at what the Miles Garrett pick did for Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Right. And how they built their offensive line, their defensive line. Then they start attracting other guys to come play there. And now the free agents are starting to say, Maybe oh, I wow, want to go look play at what there. they're doing. Yeah. Maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd like to go play next to that guy. If you're a defensive tackler or defensive end and you're hitting free agency and you're saying, Oh, I can go play next to Kayvon Thibodeau. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. He's going to, one of us is going to eat up the double team and, yep. you know, we're going to be pretty damn good. Or offensively, if you go draft, uh, you know, if you find a stud receiver and other receivers around the league, other offensive players around the league are saying, wow, look at the, right? Cincinnati was in this position for the last couple of years mm-hmm. <laughs> where everybody's Burrow, questioning their coach. Everybody's questioning the young coach. Everybody's questioning that team because they haven't won anything. And all of a sudden you get Joe Burrow. And all of a sudden, you get Jamar Chase. Now, other guys around the league take notice of how good that offense can be. So, if you're a top offensive lineman in free agency and you're taking a look at, okay, do I want to go to this offense? Eh, I don't really have anything. Do I want to be a part of a rebuild? Eh. Oh, wow, wow. Look, look at Cincinnati. They're ready to go and they're making an offer. Wow. Yeah. Okay. They're a pretty damn good team. That makes a big difference. So, if you're the Lions, I think it, it has to start. It has to start through the draft. You have to get these playmakers, and when you have the when you're in this position again to have another uh, projected top three pick, you have to get a difference maker. You just have to because not only is that going to propel your team having that guy, but everything else that comes along with it, all the goodies and all the candy that comes along with it. Of hey, free agent, now look at us, right now. Okay, now look like what we have. Okay, and and t- and people start to see the potential. And I th- that makes a big difference. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see the, and I know we're a long way from it, but it'll, it will be interesting to see the changeover from this year's team to what we watch next year. How many guys on this team right now aren't going to be here or how many guys that are starting that are playing meaningful minutes yeah. on this team right now are going to be backups next year? Yeah. Um, and it depends on, hey, who do you bring in through the draft? Who do you bring in through free agency? But y- you got to... You gotta, you gotta get it right, and they haven't. Unfortunately, they got it. I feel like they got it right with Sewell, um, but other than that, I I don't know if there's an argument to say they got it right with the other two. And I know Hawkinson's right. a really nice player. Nothing against him, but like you said, yeah, he's not a George Kittle. He's not a Travis Kelsey. I mean, he's a nice piece in the middle of your offense. Um, doesn't not really an explosive play type guy. Not a game-changing type guy. He's a nice piece. Mm-hmm. If you're picking in the top ten, you need you need you a need game a game changer. changer. Yeah. You need a you need a dog, whether it's on offense or defense. I think the big attractor is going to be whatever they end up doing at quarterback, because and and we'll talk about this more when the season's over and we get you know closer to free agency. When you think about what we've seen in in recent history 
Um, and I'm wondering how important it is for guys, and it may depend on time of career, what type of contract they're looking for, what what their length of their career, but the ability to win a championship. Because you look down at, at Tampa, and you know Antonio Brown was begging to be re-signed down there yeah. and and to go there. Mike Evans is is still there. They they re-signed Godwin. They re-signed you know a lot of that defense, and it's all because they believe Tom Brady is going to take them to another Super Bowl. It, it, just like you mentioned, I think whether it's Justin Herbert or it's Joe Burrow, those are going to be destinations for free agents because the quarterback position is so vital in the success of a team that if you're a free agent, offensive or defensively, if you believe that quarterback gives you a chance to win every single game that you're in, that's where you want to end up. And I think until the Lions decide or they get that difference maker at the quarterback position, they're always going to be you know second fiddle in, in, in acquiring free agents. Yeah. I've got the answer for you. Trade for Aaron Rodgers and uh, sign Devontae Adams. <laughs> See, you just want your guy. <laughs> you just want your guy. I don't, want to, uh, I don't even want to throw that out there because yes, it'll never uh, happen. But yes. when you take As a, the rumor will start. <laughs> hey, Roethlisberger is going to be a free agent. Oh, please. <laughs> You're right. But when it comes, I mean, and you can't really look at, at this point, I think when you look at this year, well, you know, looking at after this season, everybody's going to look down the free agent list and there's going to be big names, right? Von Miller, Allen Robinson, Chandler Jones, Chris Gott. There's going to be those big names, Devontae Adams. Probably unrealistic for a team of this caliber, right? You're going to yeah. have to find those young guys. You might have to overpay for another year uh, just to attract some of these guys. You bring in these system guys that, that, that can be nice pieces. You're probably not going to get the the number one receiver premier. you're looking for. You're not going to get the premier guys. Um, but you can't add some nice pieces that, look, it will be an upgrade. Because right now when you look at this team and and you say, well, what position can we upgrade at? I mean, pretty much everyone. Pretty much yeah. all of them. And, uh, you know, that's 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 why Brad Holmes is hired. And yes. that's uh, it's you really got to give them – everybody knows the trajection of this year. But uh, when we get into next year free agency class to draft, I think that's when we really have to say, okay, like this is probably going to be the most important year that he will have here. Mm -hmm. The first one, well, I know you can't really count last year, but right. this will be, you get the whole, you find that you've been here for a year, you see the players you have, you see what you need, you see what the, where the team's headed. That's going to be the most important draft slash free agency acquisition that he's going to go through because that will give them the foundation of players that they get to build off of for the next four years and that's why i still like i know there's there's always this debate of you know should they have shopped around matthew stafford to other teams i like the fact that they went with the rams because they did get those two first round picks yeah. and they also did him a favor as well they uh, they yep. matthew uh he had he had input on where he wanted to go they could mm -hmm. have easily said you know, screw you, buddy. You're going to where we Cincinnati, want to say, and you're, yeah. you're going to you're going to Indy, or you're going to Chicago, or you're going here. You're going, you're going to Jacksonville, yeah. buddy. Sorry, you know <laughs> they could have done that. Um, they didn't, uh, but they also still got a nice return. And yeah, I know yeah. that you know the 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 first round picks are going to be uh, late um, in the first round. It looks like at mm -hmm. least. <laughs> um, but that's another that's another cookie in the jar, man. That's another that's another lottery ticket. That's another chance to go try to find a premier player. Um, because look, I mean, you don't have to 
be in the top 10 to go find impact starters and playmaking type guys. Um, so that's, that's just where, that's where they got to get it right though. Yep. And, but it also gives them leverage now. If you want to move up in the draft, if you want to move down in the draft, if you want to trade futures, gives them possible to go capital. get another guy. Yep. If there's heaven, you know, just a scenario, I, it's not going to happen, but Deshaun Watson, I mean, if everything else falls through and I know he's a, by all accounts, an alleged scumbag, Still a hell of a player, but you're sitting there with four first round picks over the next two. Years. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You yeah. have these. You have the, the I'm, ability I'm, to I'm go out and buy, your, buy your way up. The I'm draft. not. Yeah, right. I'm not going to say that's going to happen, but you have that ability now to have those lottery tickets. But when it times when it comes time to cash them in, you got to be right. So I don't know if you're aware, um, but there's a big game this weekend, and it's not College. the Lions noon game. Yes. Oh, dude, I love the noon game. <laughs> I think every offensive – if I've met an offensive lineman that doesn't like a noon game, I would make them a defensive lineman. As a fan, too, though. As a fan, I love the noon game. I, I do, too. You, I, you, you grew you – I mean, up when you were, go. When you were playing at Michigan, like Ohio State-Michigan is always noon, Correct. I when I was playing at Michigan, we didn't even. Game. When I was playing at Michigan, we didn't have the opportunity to play a night game. Right, you didn't, you didn't have, have lights, lights there. Yeah, you played in the fifties. There was no electricity <laughs> in the stadium. We get it. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> you get that hamster roll. Right. But and, that's. I, I guess it, it. Part of it is is nostalgic for me. Where yeah. big time college football when I was a kid was at noon. Yeah, and Michigan was always at noon. Michigan Ohio State was always at noon. Like I, I just there's something that I love about just waking up and not having to wait around all day. Uh, to get the game going. Yes. And as a player, you love it. I mean, a player, you love getting up in the morning and, and getting ready to go. And, you know, you don't got to sit around your hotel for, for eight hours thinking about, mm-hmm. okay, did I do enough? Did I prepare enough? Do I got to do extra? Or just get up and go. But as yeah. a fan, I I love it, man. I love the noon game. It's so going to be a big one, too. I'm excited it about is. it. It um, is. And most people will say that um, I'm biased, which – no kidding. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, 100% am biased uh, towards the Wolverines. So I want to hear from you a little bit of the breakdown of this game. And here's here, I'm going to give you my quick take. Um, I think it comes down to which team is going to be able to do not necessarily what they haven't been able to do, but what they're uncomfortable doing. And for Michigan, it may come down to Cade McNamara having to make a big third down play or some type of of two-minute drill to go down and score where he has not been a dynamic passer. He's been effective at what Michigan has asked him to do, but he hasn't been that dynamic playmaker down the field. Michigan wins if he's able to do that. Michigan State, on the other hand, has relied very heavily on the big play. And when they've played their best defenses, uh, Nebraska and Indiana, they've been limited. Kenneth Walker, I think, against Nebraska had 81 yards. Against Indiana, he was somewhere 80, 84 yards. Wasn't able to break off those 90-yard runs, those 75-yard runs that we've seen him do against Rutgers or against Northwestern. So if they're able to sustain drives... And pair that with what they are doing well, and that's big play potential. Michigan State wins. Yeah, where are you at? I, I I think it comes down to the defensive side of the ball. I really do. I don't think this is going to be a high scoring game. Um, I know statistically speaking, Michigan State's defense is probably in the bottom half of uh, 
NCAA, mm-hmm. right? I think they rank around 70, 80 somewhere, but that's deceiving. I think they're a lot better than that. Um, but Michigan's defense has been it's been stalled. good. I mean, they've been they've been really really good. And so, they have Let me ask you this question there. Who's the best offense that they played? Michigan, who is the best offense Michigan has played? Yes. Who has tested this defense the most? Because the you, second half of Rutgers. Nebraska? Yeah, I mean, okay, I'll give you Nebraska. Nebraska with Adrian Martinez, the ability to run, throw. Um, they created a few opportunities to get wide open receivers. Yes. And the second half of the Rutgers game. Now, Rutgers is not a, a great offense. No. But, but Michigan's defense, without Josh Ross in the second half, struggled. They did, yeah, but they still only let up, what, 17 points with yeah. 10, whatever it was. I agree. No, I, I know what you're saying, and and that that's the, that's the, I guess that's the argument right now is from both sides yeah. is, well, who have you played? Well, who have we played? Well, neither of us have really played anybody, and I know that preseason rankings are ridiculously stupid. Everybody thought Miami was going to be good. Everybody thought Washington was going to be good, but mm-hmm. really the only two – uh, the only two comparable games are, but okay, both Michigan and Michigan State both played Nebraska and both played um, Rutgers, right? Mm-hmm. Michigan State had more success against Rutgers than Michigan did, and Michigan had, uh, you could say, more success against Nebraska than Michigan State did. I know Michigan State won that game in overtime, but they were at home under the lights, and you could say Michigan went on the road under the lights, so which was more impressive? Probably going on the road to get the win. Uh, with that being said, I have either of these defense been challenged by big time offenses? No, no, they have not. They have not played Ohio State. They have not played any non conference. You know, they haven't played Oregon. They haven't played anybody else who's explosive. Um, but when you look at the eye test of what they have and how they play, they're both damn impressive, man. But I'm telling, like watching that Michigan game even last week against Northwestern. Uh, you go up in the halftime, ten to seven, and it feels mm-hmm. like well, okay, what the hell's going on? They come out in the second half and just completely bury them. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan State probably has <laughs> maybe a couple more gritty wins when you look at Indiana, and I know Indiana was yeah. playing with their third string quarterback, and even what they did against Nebraska was impressive coming back late in the game. I know they needed a punt return to win, but I will say this about Indiana: <laughs> they've got a linebacker that I think is really good, Michael McFadden. Um, and when you have that type of player who's trying to match up with Kenneth Walker, um, you know, you talk about a gritty win. They were able to grind that one out and, and get a win and overcome some very difficult situations yeah. that they put themselves in. Yeah. Uh, but if, if I'm going to put your feet to the fire, because we got uh, to move, we got to end it here in just a few minutes. Um, the line started off. I think it was – I don't remember what it initially opened at. I want to say it was like Michigan by three. Yeah, I, yeah, I think – It's it's moved to three and a half. Now, as we sit here today, it's at Michigan minus four and a half on the road. If if you had to, where are you putting Man. your high-dollar bet? At four and a half? Yeah. Oh, man, don't kill me. Uh, I think – I think I would take state to cover, uh-huh. but I I still think Michigan wins. I don't, but I I think and I think it's going to be an ugly, mm-hmm. you know, twenty one twenty twenty three twenty twenty four twenty one type game. This is going to be the best defense 
that both of these teams have faced so yeah. far. And how do they adapt? When you look at the quarterback positions, I think McNamara and Thorne are pretty darn comparable. I know Thorne has the better uh, receivers and he's got yep. the better stats, but when you look at them both play, uh, you say, okay, both these teams, you know, if their running game's not working, the offense usually isn't working either. And, and, and like you said, I think the thing that's going to make the difference is Michigan's defense and specifically the defensive line. I think that's where the biggest mismatch is in this game when you look at how often Michigan State rotates their offensive linemen. They play nine, ten guys that's and weird. rotate them in, and I, I absolutely hate it because as an offensive lineman, you need to get into a rhythm. Yeah. You can't go play eight plays and then go sit on the bench for 20 minutes and come back and stretch and try to get back into the groove again. Yeah. So I think that that's where Michigan has the, the biggest advantage. If their defense – uh, and and Kenneth Walker had 61 yards against Nebraska yep. when they played a good team. And then he had, I think, 80 against Indiana off 20-some carries. So mm-hmm. you limit him to the big play, I, uh, that's 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 going to be the key, I think, because I don't think Michigan's offense is going to be – I don't think – it's going to be a boring game. I think they're going to continue doing what they do. They're going to try yep. to rush the ball 35, 40 times and wear the clock. They are who they and are. And if you can – do this if you can hold Michigan State to the big plays, which we've seen when they've played big time, you know, Big Ten teams. Uh, those explosive plays have kind of gone away a little bit now. So yeah. it's it's going to come down to the Michigan D line for me. I think that's where they have the biggest advantage, and it's going to be on the road though. It's going to be tough. That's the only reason why I'm not taking the four and a half right. because any, you're on the you road. Don't have this to is qualify a rivalry for me. <laughs> I'm okay with it. You can say whatever you want. It's going to be interesting to see the. Uh, to see the wrinkles, right? Michigan State yeah. obviously coming off a bye. You know, they've had, it seems like, Mel Tucker 40 likes flea flickers so this week. And, yeah. and, the, uh, and the trick plays. And Michigan having the bye two weeks ago. I mean, you can bet your ass they spent oh, yeah. at least half of that bye week preparing for Michigan State. Confirmed. Um, so it's going to be fun to see the wrinkles that are going to be thrown in there. Man, when's the last time we got to see both of these teams top 10 uh, go against you. I mean, it's it just feels like I don't know just, when it was top ten. It, it's I know big time football, and I, and I think that it's a it's a win for the state of Michigan having yeah. the excitement around this game. But before we end, I got to hold your feet to the fire too, man. Oh, I don't know. I don't. You're not allowed to text fine. Me, I'm hypoth- Michigan. Hypothetically, you think they cover the four and a half? I, I do, and and here's why. I think to your point, Michigan has to be able to win on the defensive line. And if they can win, and they've shown that they can do this before, now not to the same level of 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 an offensive line that Michigan State has, but Michigan's going to have to win by rushing four. Yeah. They're going to have to put Peyton, uh, put pressure on Peyton Thorne by rushing four because of the deep threat and the the fact that they're going to have three receivers running around in the secondary. Michigan last year came up woefully short on being able to defend those receivers. Yeah. Brian Lewerke, all he had to do was basically step back, chuck it deep, and it was a completion. Well, it was Rocky Lombardi, wasn't it? Uh, th- who did I say? Yeah, Lewerke. That was oh, yeah, Brian Lewerke. Yeah, that's, yeah. That yeah. Was, yeah. Yes, that's more PTSD. It was, <laughs> <laughs> that was a few years back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we took a break Rocky Brian Lombardi. Lombardi. Yeah. He's starting yeah. for Northern Illinois right now. Yeah, yes. but no, I, um, I hear you. Rocky Lombardi just was able to throw it deep. So if Michigan can drop seven into coverage – 
and they're not going to have to do it all the time. You're going to see some some blitzes sprinkled in, but it comes down to when Mike McDonald dials those up and he brings a Josh Ross or uh, you know he brings some of those guys from the linebacker position or Dax Hill off the edge. Now, he wants to be careful because Dax Hill is their best cover yeah. guy. Um, you don't want to remove him from the equation on the back end, but they've got Brad Hawkins, Vince Gray, uh, you know, Gamon Green. They're all playing better because of the this, this scheme is different. They're not in man-to-man coverage the entire time. So if Michigan can put pressure on Peyton Thorne with four guys on a regular basis, or at least regular enough, Michigan wins this game and they, and they, and they cover. Yeah. There you go. Fair enough. Necessary roughness. Well said, man. Langan I can't Jansen. wait. I can't wait. That's going to be, that's <laughs> gonna gonna be an awesome be so game, much man. fun. I can't wait. All right. We'll talk to you next week on Necessary Roughness.